0: This is a Triple J podcast.
1: (laughs) Hack.
0: Hey, it's Dave Marchese. Welcome to the Hack podcast. You know, the thought of being spiked, whether it's a drink or a needle spike, is terrifying. I think we can all agree on that. So imagine how scary it would be happening on the other side of the world. You don't speak the language. You don't know who to go to for help. Young travellers are reporting this. They say after being spiked, they're being abused or robbed and they want you to know about it. We're going to bring you the stories of two women on this podcast who've reported being needle-spiked overseas. It's a full-on listen, but it's an important story. That's coming up soon. We're also going to be checking in with a big global climate conference that's getting underway. Naz Campanella's going to be in later to ask how ableist you are. That's ahead of International Day of People with Disability. First, though. Hack. The latest is that the ceasefire has been rolled over for another 24 hours. On Triple J. I want to start with checking in with what's happening in Gaza right now because a ceasefire there which was supposed to expire today has been extended with just minutes to spare. Israel's military made the announcement earlier. I want to find out more about what the details are here, how long we can expect this to last. ABC reporter Riley Stewart is in Jerusalem covering this. He's with us now. G'day Riley, thanks for coming on Hack. Can you explain what's going on with the ceasefire, like what's been announced today?
2: Look, it was really last minute this morning, this extension. It happened in the half hour before the ceasefire was due to expire. And we don't have a whole lot of information about these negotiations. It's been super delicate between Israel and Hamas. Qatar's been involved. We know the US has been involved. We know Egypt's been involved. But I think if this last minute extension is anything to go by, we can see that an already delicate situation is really hanging by a thread. At the moment it's being extended for another day, that would that would make it seven days since it started. Exactly what happens after that is anybody's guess, but it appears that patience between Israel and Hamas is wearing very thin.
0: Right. So at this stage we know it's only been extended for one more day. Can you remind us what the deal has been so
2: far? Yeah, so the headline aspect of it when it was announced last week was that 50 hostages would be freed by Hamas and 150 Palestinians in Israeli jails would be released as well. It's interesting because it's ended up a lot more hostages than that have been freed. About 100 hostages seem to have been freed since the start of the truce. And Israel says that about 145 remain in Gaza. And there's been all these side deals, you know, like with the Thai government and, and, and with Russia to get people who aren't Israeli or who are maybe dual citizens out of Gaza as well. And Palestinian prisoner rights groups have made this allegation that even though you know 150 odd prisoners have been freed, they say that Israel has sort of arrested just as many people in the time that the ceasefire has been on. So in terms of like a net impact on Palestinians in Israeli jails, there may not actually be a whole lot of movement there. I guess when you put that spin on it, it really has to be asked, you know, what is Hamas getting out of this deal, they would have known that Israel would go and arrest just as many people as it's released. So it becomes a PR exercise now. And I think that's something that's really uh, important to understand is that when we talk about the Palestinian territories, we talk about Gaza, where this war has really been playing out, but also the West Bank. And Hamas doesn't control the West Bank. That's controlled by its rival, you know, certainly popularity for Hamas has been increasing with every um, celebration, every night of this ceasefire and seeing prisoners released. It's a very, very interesting situation.
0: Do we know much about what's been happening in Gaza while the ceasefire has been in place? Like you're reporting from Jerusalem, but do we know what's been happening in Gaza? Has more aid been
2: getting in? Extra humanitarian aid, which was a really important part of this ceasefire deal. That's been arriving in Gaza. It's also been controversial. There's been um, criticisms and claims by Hamas that um, there was an agreement that 200 trucks a day would be allowed in from Egypt. And certainly in the early stages of the ceasefire, there was criticism that maybe that wasn't happening. So that's been one very important aspect. You've got to remember this war's been going for the best part of eight weeks now. And the situation in Gaza is incredibly dire. Um, you know, with a whole lot of essentials like fuel, uh, food, uh, clean water, being in incredibly limited supply.
0: And we just don't know how long this ceasefire will continue. You said it's been extended for another day, but is there hope that it's going to continue for a
2: while? It's the question on everybody's lips. A lot of talk in the Israeli media appears to be that um, you know, it could be extended for about nine days. I think there's a lot that we can read into the fact that it's only been extended for 24 hours and that that announcement came so late. Um, it just shows where negotiations are at. And one thing that's interesting is the U.S. Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, has arrived in Israel this morning. has uh, his third trip to the region since the war broke out. He's already said that he's very keen to see more humanitarian aid make it into Gaza and to see more hostages released uh, and to see the ceasefire extended. His presence here certainly won't hinder negotiations. It could extend them, but exactly for how long is anybody's guess.
0: Well, look, there's certainly all eyes of the world on that region right now and for the next few days. We appreciate the update from Jerusalem. ABC journalist Riley Stewart, thank you very much for coming on Hack.
2: No worries. Thanks, Dave hack it's
3: changed my life completely
0: on triple j a big warning on this next story because it contains a lot of details descriptions of sexual assault allegations also a language warning too if you need to switch off for the next five minutes because we're talking about two aussie travelers on opposite sides of the world at different times who've reported being spiked with a needle while on holidays. Now, we've spoken about needle spiking a lot on Hack this year as part of our big investigation into how widespread it is amongst young Australians. Needle spiking, it means injecting a drug through a small needle into someone else's skin. and Cases are being reported around the globe. There's no denying that. And now Australian officials are including needle spiking in their warnings to Aussie travellers. But what we have now are the stories of two women who say this happened to them. Reporters Adelaide Miller and Kimberly Price have put together this story for Hack. Here's Adelaide with more. And again, just a warning, there's some really intense descriptions in here.
4: I've kind of felt like I was having like a full out-of-body experience. I couldn't move
3: anything. This is Molly. That's not her real name. We've changed it to protect her privacy. Last year, she was celebrating her final night on the Greek island of Eos with a bunch of friends when she believes she was needle spiked. She'd been separated from her friends when they were leaving a bar,
4: so she went back in to look for them. I just remember standing in in the crowd and like the lights got really, really bright. I was kind of picked up like one arm on either side and I was just kind of carried out. And I do remember like going through the streets, I'm very hazy, no idea who was helping me. It didn't really feel like I was being helped.
3: Molly recalls being dragged out of the bar by multiple men and driven to a house a few kilometres away from the main strip of bars. She says there she was repeatedly raped.
4: There was this tiny room that was like like no windows, nothing, except a little bed on the floor and this weird like chair. And then I was tied basically to this mattress and people would take turns to come into the room and leave the room as they felt fit. When the sun came up, Molly escaped.
3: She later found cuts and bruises on her body and a puncture wound in the back of her arm. She went to the police and a local hospital. Reports from both those places mentioned swelling and blood in her genital area, bruising and memory loss. She was then directed by
4: police to get more tests done at a specialist clinic. This was probably the worst thing that I think I've ever gone through, which is quite funny in respect to what I've just told you about before.
3: Molly wrote a letter to the Australian Embassy talking about how bad her experience was at the clinic. She says she was verbally berated, refused a support person and restrained in a chair and
4: forced into painful examinations. I was then asked to sit in this chair. I wasn't really asked, I was told that I had to, which was like a a very rudimentary gynaecology chair that looked more like a torture chair, to be honest. It was like just fully metal. He was holding me down by the shoulders and I, I was completely frozen. The reason they held me down was because I kept trying to sit up. I was like, no, like, please don't do that. Like, that fucking hurt. For nearly
3: 18 months, Molly has been trying to get her test results from the clinic with the help of the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade but she still doesn't have them. Hack sent the clinic detailed
4: questions, but it didn't respond. I really struggled to like actually process that it happened and that it was real. Cause I, I think I've been so gaslit by authorities that it, that it wasn't real, that it didn't happen.
3: Molly isn't the only Australian who has had an experience with needle spiking overseas. A few years ago, Carly was celebrating her birthday in Hawaii with a friend. Early one evening, they went out to a bar. I remember lining up to get my drink and my friend's drink, but I don't remember anything after that. Carly says she woke up the next morning in her hotel room with blurry vision. She couldn't stand up. She had bruises and scratches on her wrists and thighs. Probably maybe another hour or so later, I noticed that my wrist felt, or like my forearm felt really tender, um, and I had quite an obvious injection site there. Carly believes she was raped. I'd sort of worked out that I'd been drugged or had substance in me. I knew that I had been sexually assaulted or raped. She deliberately didn't go to the police. Having worked in the criminal justice system, I was really adamant that I wasn't going to report because I've seen how victims have been treated. There is no official data on needle spiking incidents in Australia or of Australians overseas. But DFAT says it does happen. In a statement, a spokesperson told Hack...
5: DFAT is aware of cases of Australians being victims of drink or needle spiking and subsequent crimes such as sexual assault and robbery. DFAT takes any allegations made by Australians overseas very seriously and works to provide high-level support to those who report such crimes.
3: It's now updated the travel advice on its website Smart Traveller to include references to needle spiking alongside drink spiking. And while Kylie is happy about that, she says the onus shouldn't be on travellers to keep themselves safe. It's on perpetrators to not do that. It wasn't dark. I was with a friend. I hadn't been heavily drinking and not that it matters at all, but I was dressed very modestly and we were in a family-friendly bar. I wasn't doing anything unsafe and it's happened to me. Molly wants other young
4: Australians to know how easily needle spiking can happen. It's everywhere. It's not. Isolated. It's not an isolated incident. It's not a one off. It's a targeted approach.
2: Hack on Triple J.
0: Adelaide Miller and Kimberly Price with that story for Hack. And if this has raised any issues, you can always get support, remember, from 1 800 Respect lifeline is there on 13 11 14 a lot of messages coming through on the text line on instagram as well someone says my heart broke with this story all the love to those women who's courageous you know bravery was uh, huge to share those stories another person says thank you to these amazing women for taking the strength to speak out and creating awareness on such horrendous events to stop this from happening to others And another person, power to these survivors for their strength, telling their stories. So a lot of similar messages coming through there. For the full story, you can get it on ABC News Online. You can head to Hack's Instagram as well, where you'll find a full explainer. Hack, the cops are
1: incredibly important. On
0: Triple J. The world's biggest climate talks are starting today in Dubai. And already there's a bit of controversy. You might have heard some of it. These talks happen every year, and it's a chance for all the countries in the world to get together to discuss where we're at with making progress on climate change. So what can we expect from this one? Well, Joe Lauder has been speaking to a young activist who's heading there this weekend. We know
6: how to take political action, and we have taken political action. We've done school strike. We have written to our MPs. We've caught our MPs. We've done blockades. So much action has happened from young people's ideas and still we haven't seen the action we've been demanding so young people I think are hoping that getting into spaces like COP will help people actually listen to what we're saying.
7: Georgia Shakeshaft is a youth activist with Plan International and she's one of over 70,000 people
6: heading to the world's biggest climate talks known as COP. That's something I'm really really excited about, the idea that we can chat to other youth activists, like I can talk to someone from Brazil, someone from Lebanon, someone from the UK, and really get the perspective of, okay, so how is your country addressing climate? What are you doing to try and help climate action? And how can we collaborate on this global level is really amazing. She's also going to be focusing on the
7: link between climate and gender inequality.
6: One example of this is the 4 Our Futures report that Plan's done this year has looked at education, and it does say that Girls are more likely to have their education impacted by climate disasters, which is why that climate change, education, and gender inequality are so inextricably linked nowadays. Okay, before we go any further, let's recap.
1: It is the conference of parties to the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change. And no one wants to say that every time. So they just say COP.
7: This is Wesley Morgan from the Climate Council. So, this year's COP, COP28, is already a bit controversial. For starters, it's hosted by the United Arab Emirates, one of the world's major fossil fuel exporters. And the COP president is also the head of the country's state-owned oil company. Earlier this week, the BBC released some leaked documents that it claims shows that the UAE is using the climate talks as an opportunity to strike oil and gas deals.
1: Well, it is quite shocking because the president of this year's UN climate talks, Sultan Al-Jaber, is also an oil executive. So there would appear on first glance to be a direct conflict of interest.
7: Look, it's a criticism Australia will probably face in a couple of years if we end up being a host.
1: We have put up our hand to host COP31 with Pacific Island countries in 2026. And Australia has the same problem. We are also a fossil fuel heavyweight. So UAE are a major oil exporter, but we are a major coal and gas exporter.
7: There's a couple of main issues that will be hotly debated a COP over the next couple of weeks. Firstly, there's the global stock take to see if the world's climate promises are actually delivering and reducing carbon pollution.
1: Unfortunately, it's another year that global emissions have gone in the wrong direction. So global emissions have, again, risen. You know, the emissions gap report uh, shows that we're still on track for around 2.9, almost three degrees of warming.
7: But it's not all bad news.
1: The International Energy Agency says we will see a peak in global demand for coal, oil and gas well before 2030. So the energy transition is accelerating. You could make a case both for despair and for hope in the moment we're in.
7: It's a real glass half full on
1: a global scale.
7: Just on that, the Australian government released its national check-in for how we're going on our climate targets of 43% by 2030. And it's not great. The minister says the projections put us very close to the target, but Australia's emissions actually rose in the past year.
1: Whilst I'm pleased with our progress, I'm not yet satisfied. The job is far from done.
7: Back at COP, the UAE also wants every country to agree to triple the amount of renewables globally by the end of the decade. And then there's what's known as loss and damages, which is a global fund to help countries that can't afford to pay for the impacts of the climate crisis. It's something that George is advocating for, too.
6: I think the way we're looking at it is that we're harming our Pacific friends and neighbours, and that's something that we're really worried about. So we have seen, for example, Tuvalu, we are trying to help them, but we just don't think that's good enough. We think that contributing to loss and damage, if we're putting our friends in danger, we should be there to bail them out.
7: And lastly, there's the issue of fossil fuels. In 2021, every country agreed to support the phase down of coal-fired power and this year there's a push to expand that and get everyone to agree to phase out all fossil fuels but it's going to be a really tough one to get nearly 200 countries to agree on that. Wesley Morgan from the Climate Council says all of this is
1: really important work. These multilateral negotiations are frustratingly slow and they leave us with outcomes that are well out of step with the science but nonetheless these UN climate talks are really important because All countries are at the table.
6: You're listening to Hack on Triple J.
1: Joe
0: Lauder with that update and there is lots going on in the lead up. The start of COP, we're going to bring you some more chats over the next week, keep you updated, let you know what is going on there because we know a lot of you are interested, you want to know. But for now, going to move on. Hack.
6: The way our society is built is not well equipped for those that are disabled.
2: On Triple J. Have
0: you ever seen someone who is blind crossing a busy intersection and you're worried that they might be in a bit of danger, you're stressing a bit for them? You run up, you grab them, help them cross the road, but you don't ask their permission. Or maybe you've made a really offensive, discriminatory comment to someone of short stature and you didn't even know you did that. I'm sorry to tell you, you've been ableist. You've probably heard that word before, even if you haven't thought about it too much. The ABC's put together a quiz to test how ableist you are. It's ahead of International Day of People with Disability, which is this weekend on Sunday. And joining us right now on Hack is the quiz master himself who came up with it, Evan Young. And with him national disability affairs reporter, Naz Campanella. Hello, g'day. Evan, Naz, thank you for coming on, Hack. It's good to have you here as always. Evan, can you explain what ableism is?
5: So ableism is basically discrimination or bias against people with disability or on the basis of disability. It can be structural and deliberate, maybe not designing ramps in a new building, or it can be you know smaller things that you don't quite realise that you're actually even doing, like Catch up with mates, but actually one of those mates can't access the building that you're actually heading into. And interestingly enough, it's not just able-bodied people that can exhibit ableism. Disabled people can also inadvertently show it. I don't know about you, Naz, but I'll admit, I've, I've, I'll, I'll admit that I've I'll admit that <laughs> I've kind of had to stop and check myself and unlearn certain behaviours over the years.
8: Yeah, it's true, and also because of the way society is, certain phrases, certain words have been kind of ingrained in even disabled people. So you know, how many times have I caught myself saying, "Oh, I was just blindsided by that." Well, actually, yeah. I'm blind. That's just why did I use that phrase? Yeah. Like it's, and you know. It's, uh, I guess, one important thing to say before we go further in this conversation at all is that obviously there are people who I'd like to think it's a small minority um, that would go out and do this deliberately, but I think many people just simply don't know how to approach people or situations or scenarios, and so the intent is a good one, but it sometimes comes out the wrong way.
0: Yeah, that's definitely what I think most people would have experienced. It's funny, like Naz and Evan, you guys being like, oh, we've done it too, and I I often think there's been a hundred times, Naz, I can think in our friendship where... We've been friends for a decade and there's definitely been situations where we've... Yeah, yeah sometimes yeah. Naz has to pull me into line and say, no, that's that's not it. She has to really <laughs> be like, you've got it wrong. You've got it wrong. Do you cop it a lot, Evan? Like what, what's been your experience? Is it different with the invisible disabilities? Yeah, I, well,
5: I can only speak for someone who has an invisible disability. So my mine is um, myalgic encephalomyelitis, which is often called chronic fatigue syndrome. And I think, yeah, the kind of stuff that that people like me face would be different to what someone like Naz would with a more visible disability. Um, a really common one for lots of people with invisible disability is around disabled car parks. Um, you know, I hear time and time again that, you know, people who they've got the permits, they've got the stickers, they've they're they're fully entitled to those car parks. They get accosted by other people just because it doesn't look like they have a disability, quote unquote. And someone I spoke to for the quiz says, you know, when that's happened to them, you know, it's really humiliating. People have left notes on the dashboard saying, I've been watching you, which I guess
0: not only sucks, but is also kind of threatening. Creepy and creepy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Awful. That's crazy. Naz, I know you've dealt with a lot of this over the years. Can you share some of your experiences?
8: Yeah, some of the most common ones that still happen very regularly to me. One of them was a couple of years ago when I was very heavily pregnant going into the hospital for my sort of ultrasound with my husband. The receptionist said to my husband, what's her baby's due date? What's her date of birth and asked all these questions about me while I was standing right there. And another one that happens very, very regularly is we'll be in a cafe or a shop and he'll be asked while I'm sitting right there, what does she want to order or how will she be paying for that? Just I think because
5: you have one disability, it's like that you have
8: that you can't, you can't that you have do no anything. agency. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And I think what I'd like to say is that it it really feels you're automatically less than, you're seen as less than. It's an awful feeling. I do have agency over, you know, how I pay for things and what I'd like to order. Sometimes I want to order a chai latte. Sometimes my husband gets it wrong and orders a hot chocolate <laughs> instead. You know, like it's Many of us uh, who you might think can't respond or make a decision for ourselves actually can, and it's really wrong to assume that. It's very disrespectful. Um, And I think it's just something we have to learn. I mean, you don't know what you don't know, right? So many people still across Australia, even though there are 4.4 million Australians living with disability, lots of non-disabled people haven't encountered us, Mm. either at work, university, you know, out and about.
0: I love the idea of this quiz that you've come up with like, how ableist are you? And just to be clear, like, the idea of the quiz is not to condemn people and go, you are ableist, like, get out of society. It's to make you, and it fully does make you reflect on situations that most of us would have been in and go, oh, how could I have handled that differently? What should I have said? Can you tell us where the idea came from, Evan?
5: Yeah, I mean, I guess um, doing a lot of no disability stuff within the ABC, you know, we hear some pretty bad treatment pretty often when it comes to you know, people with disability. And so uh, over the over the journey, I've kind of got the impression that maybe ableism wasn't as well understood. Mm. And um,
8: me coming in and whinging almost on a daily basis <laughs> to him about things that people have said to me in the street.
5: It's not whinging. That was a part <laughs> no, of it. No, it's not whinging. Um, no, not really. <laughs> nope, um but it's totally valid. Yeah, so I kind of wanted to do something educational first and foremost, something that was a bit more fun and really get think- people thinking about how they would react in a situation and what their first kind of impulse might be. Um, and so I reached out to you know a whole heap of different disability advocates, organisations, you know uh, people with disability, you know all kinds of different disabilities to co-design the questions and kind of you know base them on common experiences that they find themselves in.
8: I think what's also important about this quiz is you know you learn you know how to kind of modify your own behaviour, but also if you spot this happening, notice I didn't yeah. say see, yeah.
6: <laughs> spot this
8: happening to someone, somewhere, you know, in the future, you can kind of have the knowledge you need to challenge that as well, even if you're not doing it yourself. Because I think often the onus, the burden is on the person with lived experience in those situations to almost teach the stranger that's come up to them and grabbed them in the middle of the street and tried to help them when they don't actually need help to explain why that's inappropriate.
0: Interesting quiz. It's eight questions, right? It's eight questions. Can you give us an example of one of the questions?
5: Some <laughs> of the things we've just talked about kind of were ripped straight from the quiz, that, that disabled car park question, yeah. for example. Yeah. Um, you know, what to do when you see someone in a restaurant, if, you know, if you're waiting tables and, you know, they look like they have a disability, do you directly, you know, ask them what they want, that sort of thing? Top of my- <laughs> yeah, you do. Off the top of my head,
0: <laughs>
1: you definitely do.
0: Um,
8: What's really important for people to know is that these questions are real-life examples that have happened to real people
0: Commonly, yeah. This is Hack. I'm Dave Marchese. I'm speaking with the ABC's Evan Young and Naz Campanella about this ableism quiz that the ABC's come up with, which is a, a really interesting concept and gets you thinking. And we've Were just, you
7: ableist when you oh, did I it? Come on.
0: Do, I had to do it before and I was like, oh, what if I fail the <laughs> quiz? How am I going to face Naz and if I fail the quiz? Um, Didn't fail it, but there were definitely some questions where I was like, oh, I might have, you know, made a mistake there. I might mm-hmm. have stuffed up. Or, And, you know, the good thing about it is it's not just right, wrong. It explains why something's the wrong answer or why something's the right answer. Well, that right there tells me that we've probably done a good job.
8: Yeah, that's right. Oh, that's right. You
5: have. I think, you
0: have.
8: <laughs> I, I think, you know, some of the really scary things that came out of the Royal Commission uh, into violence, abuse, neglect and exploitation, which Evan has already referenced is really around, particularly in public spaces, people were often picked up off the ground, mocked, laughed at, you know, sexually assaulted on, on trains, purely for their disability. And I think, you know, for me in doing this quiz, it was about thinking about those people who gave evidence so bravely and sharing those stories and thinking, if only we had a bit more education around ableism, these things could be preventable.
0: I mean, I wanted to ask you both, actually, we're coming up to International Day of People with Disability on Sunday. Do you think, Naz, that the conversations we're having around disability are changing? Like, I've spoken to you. Uh, most years around this time, mm. and we talk about different. Do you sense a bit of a change?
8: Look, I'm an optimist and yes, I think I think the conversation is changing because we do have so many people out there now in you know media in politics in sport um, you know Australians of the year and lots of lots of activists who are extremely public. The community's hard work is really shifting the dial, but I think we still have a really long way to go. I mean, yeah. only last week I heard from someone who applied for a job, got an interview, turned up and couldn't even get in the building because there were stairs and they were in a wheelchair. We still have a hell of a lot more
5: work to do. Yeah, what do you reckon, Evan? Couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> She's good
0: with the words, Naz She's Campanella. We'll give her that. Right. She's <laughs> all right. She's all
8: right. Happy International Day of
3: People with Disability.
0: Yeah, it's an important day across the world and uh, so important to celebrate at market and have these conversations, not just at this time of the year, but all through the year as well. The ABC's Evan Young, National Disability Affairs reporter, Naz Campanella. Thank you very much for coming on Hack. Thanks, Thanks for having
2: us. Hack. On
0: Triple Jack. Yeah, and remember, International Day of People with Disability coming up this Sunday. Get around it. If you want to see that quiz as well, you can find it on the ABC News site. That is all we've got time for on the Hack Podcast for now. I'll catch you next time.